Hello, everyone, and welcome to In the Finest Hour, a 40K competitive podcast teaching you tips and strategies you can use in about an hour. I am, as always, your host, Sean Morgan, sometimes known as Abuse Puppy, and I have with me my two wonderful co-hosts, Shaylin Allen-West. Hey. And Ben Jurek. Hello again, listeners. So we're getting we're getting deep into ninth edition at this point. Well, I mean, maybe maybe not deep. We probably still got a couple years of this yet, but it's starting to happen for real now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really it's really starting to like get a shape and an actual like feel for how the edition's gonna play out. And honestly, I'm pretty excited. Yeah, uh, the the stuff we've seen so far is looking pretty good. Um, there are folks who've been doing some interesting analysis of kind of like where the edition is starting to go and what's happening. Obviously, we haven't got any codexes yet, so that is still very preliminary. Um, but even so, it's it's very interesting to see how the missions are shaping up and how these these sorts of different lists are performing. Uh, I think the, the funniest one that I have seen was uh, there have been several of these just uh, swarm-style lists that just drop units onto objective and don't even try and kill the opponent uh, who have lost a round with a 95-point score. Wow. That's That's got to feel bad. That's just... Ooh. Oof, 95 points and you couldn't pull it out, huh? Oof. Yeah, there are some lists out there where, like, if I'm playing Truck Boys, yeah. I'm not going to interact with them in any meaningful way. I'm right. just going to go score points. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I, th- I think what we're seeing is that that is a plan that can work, but it's, you know, maybe you got to have a little bit of interaction somewhere in your list. You can't just let your opponent sit and do their thing because they will 100 you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So let's go ahead and just sort of dive right into our our main subject here, because I think it's it's got enough meat on it that we're going to spend the whole episode worrying at this. Uh, so what we're talking about this week is what is 9th edition, because at this point it's still pretty unclear. Uh, a lot of people have made guesses and suppositions and theories about it, uh, but it's only now that we're seeing the tournaments that it really is like, shaping up and we can see like how much of that is actually true uh and this, this is a huge thanks to the folks over at 40k stats as well as the art of war and Goonhammer and a number of other sites that are all doing some really great analysis work kind of like giving us the real-time data um so we're we're talking a lot about uh these tournaments that are that are being reported on, most of them are from outside the U.S. because uh, COVID. they are the ones who were able to, yeah, actually to hold tournaments. Although there have been a few U.S. tournaments that are are managing to organize, but they're relatively small. All of these tournaments are relatively small at this point. Um, even the the one major that we've had was pretty small overall. Um, but what would you guys say are sort of the the standout features that you think are defining ninth edition lists so far? So there's you got to have things that are quick enough to stand on your objectives, mm-hmm. uh, and then you've got to have things that can stay there. So you want quick, fast, 
And then you want things that can kill hard things that want to sit there. Hmm? It's kind of what I'm seeing. Ben, what do you? What's 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 your take on stuff? Uh, I believe you're. We're going to see a mix of different play styles that are all very valid. But a lot of this edition is really focuses on the primary. Um, mm-hmm. It's way it's way less killy edition, and I'm actually really enjoying the the honus of not having to actually a- accomplish a kill on a turn. Like if mm-hmm. I kill five chaos spawn and I don't kill a sixth, I'm not worried about it. Like I don't need to kill that squad. I kill five chaos spawn. It's good enough. Um, so I really enjoy the pull away from accomplishing kills and how many kills and what you're killing being as valuable as the objective. And everything's really really focused on the primary and the board control. Mm-hmm. And that board control being all almost in no man's land. So it yeah. forces combat. It's a shorter game. It plays so much faster. If you aren't in the thick of it on turn two and having some major, you know, tumble and struggle, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. So it's it's a it's a, it's a it's a lot faster. It's a lot of fun. And I'm I look at my my army tray as I'm you know testing these lists for the edition, and I'm like. What is this? And my friend answers, "It's ninth edition." I'm like, "I know, it's fun." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's let's let's make that our first big takeaway. This edition's fun. Um, it it feels like you're doing stuff pretty much every turn of the game. Uh, yes. Because even though you don't score on the first turn, but the first turn is where you get onto those objectives to score for the second turn, um, which means that scrums are happening immediately there are lots and lots of turn one assaults uh or at least in my experience mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yeah definitely um so let's let's break a few of these points down shaylin you talked about uh fast moving and sturdy units I yes. think that is a feature you are going to see a lot in this edition, and that we are already seeing a lot of, is tough units, and they don't have to be, like, invulnerably tough. We're not talking 7th Ed Death Stars here. No. We're just talking things that are difficult to remove for their points value. Stuff like rhinos, uh, stuff like, you know small little scooty units, um, the, the, uh, orc war cop, or war cop, def copta, uh, all those orc names, uh, the def copta, stuff like that. <laughs> There's things that are too t- much work to remove given the resources you invested in them. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of units that are just super durable with good really good wound counts that aren't going to get chewed up too easily by a bunch of d6 damage or you'll just lose them. So like those three wound models specifically, mm-hmm. those those T7 eight wound models, so like buggies and such like that. They're yeah. all they all take a ton of resources, usually more resources than you want to spend to use. And like my special shout out the two things that almost feels impossible to move all the goddamn times, the goddamn plague burst crawler. That thing is an all-star oh decision. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. real hard to get rid of. I I still do not rate it super highly. Um, it's obviously good, but I feel like it's one of those units that people always overestimate. I think I'm kind of with Nick Nadavani on this one, um, because what I see it do is sit in the back and kind of just, like, exist 
for the entire game. Um, and I'm used to running a lot of units with, like, minus one to hit, and it just kind of, like, wanders around the backfield and does nothing, uh, which I am yeah, not the, terribly the, scared of. In this edition, it got relatively buffed. I've had to fight my main opponent's a Death Guard player, so sure. he's been playing playing a lot of PBCs. And with the four-up invuln that they contain and the fact that they shoot in combat now, oh, it, yeah. they definitely are way more of a threat than they were in 8th edition. So in 8th edition, I could kind of ignore them for the most part. They didn't really interact with me that much. They just kind of stood there, mm-hmm. as you said. But in 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 ninth, you can just ram them up there. Like, if someone, if someone combats you, you hit them with Strength 7 Flamers. Like, and then you're you're sitting on a T8 4-up invuln. This thing takes way too much too much firepower to remove. Yeah. And with Disgustingly Resilient, it's like, okay, I... I took, you know, the version of Big Game Hunter, uh, what's it called? Bring it down. Yep. Um, and I need to kill this thing for points because it was easy points, but god dang, it's yeah, that that definitely feels like a little bit of a, a trap to me there is that there are some units in this edition that are just so hard to remove. You know, most of them are running a strong invuln. Many of them have some sort of uh, backup resilience, like disgusting resilience or something like it. Um, units like that that are just so difficult to deal with but may not have a huge output are definitely going to be a thing because you need something to sit in your backfield. You need something to kind of like waddle up and steal an objective from that single model enemy unit, etc. Mm-hmm. Um it's it's definitely going to be a thing we see. Um, I think fast-moving infantry are also going to be a major feature because that's something we're seeing a lot of is uh, either units that move like 7 to 12 inches and thus can get completely out of your deployment zone in a single f- movement phase without advancing or that can start the game out of your objective, of your uh, deployment zone, like infiltrators and cursors, the 900 other space marine units that can do that. Um, because that's really yeah, important. All of, your, all of your bike units are starting to peek in and see a bunch of play and experimentation. I mean, yeah. I've been playing with a group of 10 war bikers. Yeah. So you got, you got Yunari, you got Yunari Shining Spirits are still a, a stupid highlight they're still great you got um you have a harlequin jet bikes you have the space marine uh the new space marine jet bikes the primaris jet, oh, not jet bikes. bike bikes yeah, the, the outriders bikes. bike bikes yeah yeah those guys like all the bike units are are just better now with how this edition plays mm-hmm. yeah anything that can move quickly has a good chance of being able to control objectives and whatnot infantry specifically i feel are very relevant there uh, just because of their ability to take actions uh, and there are a lot of actions that want you to be outside of your deployment zone especially six inches outside of your deployment zone um Mm -hmm. and that ability to do that on the first turn can be extremely useful oh yeah Uh, and uh, on a personal note i'm using i am using msu storm boys for small cheeky little okay score this objective so that Uh that is something and they are they're deaf skulls so they're obsec um so they're they're pretty good yeah. Um, it, well, and let's let's transition that into the the next unit that I think you're going to see a ton of because uh, Storm Boys can do it. Although they're maybe not the premier choice for orcs. Um, small action monkey units, just yeah. five or even three man squads, especially those that are able to natively come in from reserves and take an action. 
Um, yep. There's there's going to be a lot of these in a lot of books, and they're going to see a lot of use. I use mine to great effect. I mean, you could always soup. You could soup it up. So my favorite list that is doing this so far um, is custodies have the same, you know, certain uh, spot where they have to spend a crap ton of points to even take one model. Mm-hmm. Um, well, if you soup them, you spend the CP since they don't need a ton of CP. Spend the CP, mm-hmm. throw in some scions, and they now they just have scion action monkeys, and I, I, I'm loving those lists. Scions are going to be a regular feature of a lot of uh, Imperium lists, the way that Guard were last edition, mm-hmm. um, because you have relatively cheap units. They're, I think, 45 points for a basic squad. Yeah. It's not a lot. Um, they can come in off reserve natively. They can take actions. They have guns that are not horrible. Um, you know, Strike 3 AP2 can get some work done, and you can throw in your plasma guns and stuff like that if you really want to. Um, they, for just that handful of points, they can bring a whole lot of utility. Um, yes. And if you want to spend a little bit more, then they have a ton of other great options as well. Um, that's actually uh, something that I we've seen a lot of that uh, I think is a little bit surprising, is we're seeing lots of patrol detachments. I'm seeing a ton of double patrols, battalion plus patrols, patrol plus vanguard. The patrol detachment seems really popular because it only takes one troop and one HQ. And, you know, you can throw a second HQ in there if you want to. And it gets two of each of the the other slots, whereas a battalion only gets three, where and you have to take two more troops. Mm-hmm. Yeah, frankly, I think it's the the only way to truly soup or add other detachments. I don't I don't think you're gonna see too much of anything outside battalion and patrol. You're you're gonna you're I think it's going to be a lot of some detachment, be it a battalion, a patrol, or something else, plus patrols. Mm-hmm. Uh, because that two CP cost is pretty affordable. Even if you run three detachments, you're still starting with eight CP at that point, which is not terrible. Um, it's, we're not seeing a ton of three detachment lists, but they are out there, uh, and that's pretty survivable. Um, dropping below eight starting is definitely hurting a lot, um, even, especially if you've got your pregame stratagems or strategic reserves or stuff like that you want to be spending on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and one thing I'd like to point out about a lot of these units that are both fast and both um, can come in from reserves natively or otherwise through strategic reserves, you know, spending one CP and throwing a bunch of them in because they're not high power level. Yeah. Um, is a lot of them are troops and, or have an obsec ability or exist in an army that picks up obsec for some reason or another, like a warlord trait or a clan tactic or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, obsec's a really, really ga- big game changer now. Yes. Um, obsec's very important. So, do not forget the fact that that word and don't don't get jumbled up on it because like if you get that one little unit just sneaks in there um, and you know pull, pulls from your elite units and your vehicles that ran out that they're, they're gonna get the points um, and you have to remove them you have to remove every single freaking one of them. That's why Grey Knight Terminators are decent right now. Yes, uh, and, and Terminators fit into a lot of those categories. You know they're 
They're tough. They can move more than six inches in a turn, thanks to the, the Greynite powers and whatnot. Uh, they are able to fight hard enough to remove other units from objectives, uh, yes. which is not something we've talked about a whole lot yet. But that ability to flip an objective, uh, to move your own melee unit, typically, onto an objective, kill an enemy, and take the objective over yourself is... Uh, a very big deal. That 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 makes a huge difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're going to see a lot of these. Uh, just e- these relatively quick moving or reserve capable units that drop in, charge into objective, clear it, deny the enemy that objective, and then force them to, to look at it and say, okay. Can you get me off? Yeah, you have to kill me before my turn. Because otherwise, I'm gonna fifteen five you, and that's not good. Um, but it's gonna take a fair amount of work to do it. Okay, I I think this is gonna lead back in uh, into my one of my favorite aspects. It's a little like side aspect of these troops and fast moving things, and the being forced to remove things and take actions before your opponent scores a ton of points on you. Mm-hmm. And that specifically, in my point, is transport play. Yes. Um, transport play, uh, you know, I'm seeing a lot of it with my battle wagons and my trucks, but every army that has had transports is, you're seeing a lot of lists with them. You're seeing chimeras yep. with crap tons of chimeras or crap tons of guard. You're seeing <laughs> rhino, rhinos and corn berserkers are back, baby. Like, there's so many cool and fun ways to do transports. Um, and peeling that onion, as you're going to hear that quoted a lot, is incredibly difficult in this edition with the new morale and how tough units are and everything else so like just going and parking a bunch of vehicles on objectives on your turn and be like okay you have to deal with them otherwise (laughs) i'm just gonna 15 you it's it's fantastic it's very key there and, and really like like you said that peeling the onion that it takes several steps to remove the the whole thing because you can't do it with one big unit in some cases you can't even do it in a single phase without having some pretty fancy shenanigans going on oh yeah but that ability to be like okay you have to kill my vehicle and then you have to kill the guys inside and then you have to kill the character accompanying them uh that can really be a hassle for a lot of lists to do either in and shooting or melee. Like, in melee, you can't you can't kill a, a vehicle and its contents in a single phase in melee. It's just not possible. My uh, my transports, for example, that I'm, that I'm playing with, some of them I'm running, like, an MSU group of just commandos sitting in there, mm-hmm. along with a group, along with a group of boys, mm-hmm. along with a character, so it's like, oh, there's even more layers to that onion. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, and that is going to be a very, very common feature because um, this is this is sort of your other way to get durability. Uh, when scoring objectives is so critical, you can't just put one unit on objective and call it a day because your opponent will shoot that unit or charge it and you will be down an objective. Yes. Um, so having these layers of resilience that aren't like, you can't kill this, it's how much work are you willing to do to kill this? that is sort of, I think, the critical point. Yeah, the command phase really has changed the pace of the game and how you need to react to your opponent and how you need to set yourself up for um, for success because you need to plan all these turns ahead. You need to be like, okay, how can I have 
three units on that objective by next by the command phase of the next turn. Mm-hmm. Um, and you need to plan that out. You need to be turns ahead uh, in order to be really good at this game. Yeah, yeah, we've talked about that in the past, uh, but it's worth reiterating here that you in ninth edition you really always are playing a turn ahead of time more than any of the previous editions, because it's all about scoring, and scoring happens on your next turn, not at the end of your turn. So you need to put the, those units on the objective or move them to the enemy's objective or whatever it is you're doing and be looking at what will happen on my next turn. What is the enemy going to do to me, and how do I deal with that? If you're playing for the current turn, you're a turn behind. Yes. And also, it for the enemy, it's like, huh, they did something that I don't like. Well, I can foil them before their next command phase. That's what it also starts looking at. Right. And, and you're trying to predict that enemy action. If I do this, what will they do? If I do that, what will they do? And what are, their, what are they going to plan on their turn? Because uh, you, you just, you need to be ready for all of that and have that happening in order to score your primary objectives. Uh, we've kind of been talking past that, but I think we've we've discussed it a lot on the, the previous episodes. Ninth edition is very much about scoring objectives, and as Ben said earlier, scoring the primary objective. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you really should be maxing out those 45 points from the primary objective every game. Um... If you are not, that's going to be rough for you. Um, I think what you, the way you need to approach it is, I am going to score 45 points on my primary. That's where I start. And if I'm missing those points, that is a sort of subtraction from what my score should be. Uh, you know, you're, you're looking at this as, you know, 45 is what I have to begin with. And my opponent is trying to take those points away from me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there are some ways you can make up for it with certain secondaries. I can score a little bit higher. But sure. It it really it really does focus on that. And you know, I know we focus a lot on the primary here, but you really do see the majority, of, at least list construction, based around how easily can I score secondaries, such as those action monkeys. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're kind of building it all in. If you're if you aren't at least maxing out two of your other secondaries, the you know the third one can be a wild card sometimes. Yeah. Um, then you know most lists are building around for sure maxing out like you know engage null fronts and such like that. And some of them, specifically those space marine lists, are incredibly hard hard to score some of the secondaries against because there's just nothing to pick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. You you really need to be ready to. Uh pick secondaries that aren't dependent on the enemy list because you very often won't be able to get those it's just there's a lot of things lists space marines especially but also many others that you just you'll look at them and be like well i can get six points off that but six is not enough um six is not ten yeah that that is my feeling is you want to be scoring 10 points on all three of your secondaries. That should be your your sort of, like, basic goal. Um, 
If you can get 15, great, super cool, awesome. You probably won't. Most lists are not going to be able to in most games, uh, unless you are very specifically built to score that 15. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that 10 is that sort of like basic goal toast. You know, you're, you're expecting 45 out of the primary. You're expecting 10 out of each secondary. Um, because 75 seems to be a consistent winning score. Yes. Uh, it's not super often you're going to get 75 or 80 and your opponent is still going to beat you. It can happen, but not usually. Take some really interesting shenanigans, like double tabling. Yeah, it's not that bad, I don't think. Um, you know, that's the, the 95 point, like, wait a minute, you lost with 95 points? Um, which is possible. Um... But um, seventy five is is that score that more more like a, a like a thirty was last edition yeah. in ITC, whereas like if you get thirty, you're probably winning the game. Um, this edition, if you get seventy five, you're probably winning the game. So that's where you should be aiming. Um, can I max my primary? Can I get ten on on three different secondaries consistently? Yeah, my my most like. Teeth clenching, nail biting game was a sixty nine to sixty seven at the end of the day. Yep. So it was it was really close, but both below seventy, and we traded punches and had a fantastic time. Like I think I cannot express enough how much fun I'm having. Um, yeah, and that there's a, there's a there's a big observation of everything you ever thought that was like really wrong with this game doesn't really exist, especially if you played an eighth edition. Like it's like oh. This all of this seems really fair. With I mean, I'm gonna put that with an asterisk. Yeah, there are, there are some lists out there that are like, okay, this is this this isn't that fun to play against. But the majority of the games I've played have just been incredibly fun. Mm-hmm. I I think the one thing you definitely can say for ninth edition is that it's very interactive. Yes. Um, there were definitely games in 8th that were not very interactive. It was kind of just two gun lines, like, sitting back and rolling dice at each other, and then they'd pick up models, and one of them would pick up more models and lose. Um, that is not the case in ninth. In ninth, you were always, like, getting right up on the enemy and doing stuff and fighting for things, and there's pretty much always some back and forth, even in comparatively unbalanced matchups. And yeah. that, that tactical play, that difference, has really brought in a ton of different units that were just sitting on people's shelves doing absolutely nothing. Um, and they, we're not yeah. even playing those units because they're efficient at shooting or they're, you know, because it used to be just be, okay, what what's the best math hammer item unit I have? Okay, I'm going to put that, I'm going to spam that unit as much as I can and, you know, and f- build my army around that. Like, no. No, it's not that anymore. You can still take like a good unit of that, but that's no longer, you know, those two armies staring at each other, shooting at each other, and whoever rolls better, you know, wins. And then you get down to the point where it's rolling twos, we're rolling ones, and it's like, okay, who went first? And mm-hmm. it's just, it, that that play is not nearly as existent. Now, there are some people making the argument of, well, it's still a who goes first game. I'm always going to argue against those people. Um, there's, still a lot, there's still a lot of tactics to be played. Uh, there's still, you know, I'm a... I have my own opinions about how the start of the game um, stuff happens as far as like determining who goes first and attacker defender. Yeah, um, I I think those could be a little bit better. Um, I think I think the end of eighth had the correct way of doing it, but hmm. I'm not complaining about it too greatly. 
Um, I'm not, I don't feel super in a pinch if I end up, you know, losing that dice roll and going second. So, and with the option of strategic reserves and the way terrain works now and everything else, um, I don't feel at a huge disadvantage. And with, with being able to fully interact with the board and play all these cool, fun units and see things that haven't seen uh, a table competitively in literally ever, um, it's just, it, it's just been very fun. I was going to comment on that. Um, one of the things I've observed with going second is your punt moves onto those objectives. Well, now they're in charge distance. Enjoy. Yeah, it's I, I definitely want to dig more into this whole first and second thing. Uh, why don't we take a quick little break to hit up our quartermaster mm. and then we will come back and really get into the, the nitty gritty of that a bit more because I think there's a lot to talk on there. Greetings, this is your good host. I am here to extend a special COVID offer to any and all gaming-related businesses that would like to advertise for free on In the Finest Hour. Times are hard, and we want to support you. Give us a jingle at inthefinesthour at gmail.com, or message us on Facebook, and we'll hook you up with the advertising. So Ben, you were you were talking a little bit about your thoughts on uh, first versus second turn. Do you want to just give us a, a quick summary of what you what you think is going on there? So um, in this edition, you have attacker versus defender, uh, and that doesn't seem to make a huge difference. Yeah, it's, a huge difference. Other it's than pretty irrelevant. Yeah, deploying is like it's like why is that even a thing? I guess we're going to rotate, you know, go back and forth to deploying, and then roll a dice without any sort of measure anyway. So it's, yeah, it's but kind of weird. But but that's irrelevant to the the first versus second thing. Yeah. Um, well, I'm saying like the pre pre game deployment, like you know, I would deploy differently knowing I was going to go first. Uh, so I just wanted to start with that. Sure. Um, I think that's actually so, but, an advantage, though. I don't like the absolute knowledge of, oh, I am going to go first, therefore I can deploy for first because I know there is no way for you to overturn that. Well, I would argue that, you know, knowing I'm going second and being able to deploy extremely defensively is, is just could be just as good. But uh, in this edition, well, maybe not so much because of the way No Man's Land works. But I'll right. get to the point of Alpha Striking. So... Um, and so with with going first um, and the boards being so small and every objective being in no man's land, um, I don't really feel put on the ropes if someone comes in and does their does whatever their army does um, and even picks up you know some of my models. Uh, and with the general focus on durable models and being able to hide them and use terrain more effectively, um, obscuring terrain is magnificent. Uh, on top of forests being incredibly playable, or mm-hmm. dense terrain, I should say. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm not really losing a whole lot of my army in turn one, even against you know some of the more stout uh, space marine lists and such. Sure. Uh, and then with weapon ranges on, with the board being shorter and weapon ranges being a little bit less relevant, you're seeing the opportunity for countercharging, counterpunching, and counterinitiating, uh, and you know forcing that command phase action. Um, 
to be just as relevant going second because I, I can kind of control where I want my opponent to go, what my opponent, opponent to do on the defensive. Um, mm-hmm. And I really I really do enjoy that because like if they if they come out and I feel like they you know bl- did a death blob in one direction and they're on three objectives of like okay cool I'm just gonna circle over here um, take this one and these other three and I, I'm gonna force you into a bunch of bad choices even though I went second um, and I don't think you could really do that before uh, especially with the way. Um, all all the uh, objectives are placed, and how close you are to your enemy. As Shaylin pointed out, um, if someone gets really aggressive and up in my grill, I'm just going to countercharge them. Like everything's so sure. easy to assault. Um, so there's where in prior where like someone could come out on like a five objective map, take three, and they pr- be pretty difficult to interact with, and then just gun me off the table as I attempt to interact with them. Um, this is not the case in this edition in the new maps. Shaylan, what's your what's your take on first and second turn? So obviously the the tempo control, the ability to make actions and not have your opponent foil them immediately a first turn and getting the first punch in is still valuable. Um, mm-hmm. But in addition, where everything's tougher, it can be diminishing returns valuable. Um, mm-hmm. Because it's like, well, yeah, I'm tough enough to wary that punch and I all I need to do is wary three turns of punch and then I'm fine. Um... So it's like, it, it, yeah, you turn the clock up, but you turn the clock up by so little, it doesn't really change a lot. Um, hmm. Can be the case with certain interactions. Um, in addition mm-hmm. to this, I've also observed, as I said, getting countercharge, like going second, it's like, I sometimes get opportunities for free movement phase. Sweet. I like extra movement. Sure. I like uh, pulling objectives out from underneath people. And uh, so there's still... a. I would say that going second has a lot of inherent value and I feel that that value of getting to um, potentially charge or steal out from your opponent on objectives with your fast durable units basically offsets the whole first blows thing. Hmm. I mean, I guess I kind of talked down on going first as much and I I don't really want to feel like I did that. I want to say that going first is still... There's, it's good. There are pros and cons. Yeah. It's just, it's not nearly as, I don't think the scale is as as tipped as it was before. Yes. Um, I believe there are some lists that really can take advantage of going first, like take ridiculous advantage of going first. And we're talking hmm. certain Space Marine build, like, you yeah. know, Raven Guard's still dumb. Let's not forget that. Yeah. Uh, and you and you still have, and like, M being going first with a bunch of units like Nerdlings and Scouts where you can just obtain pure board control and force your opponent to try and defend four, four objectives um can be pretty daunting so don't get me wrong um going first can be very valuable especially if you have a list that can take advantage of it yeah my feeling so far has been that it is almost always advantageous to go first um in the games i have played there has never really been a case where i won the roll off and i said i should go second now, I have chosen to go second a number of times because Shailene and I like to test that sort of thing out and see, like, what does it feel like to go second here? You know, is how is this different? How does this matter to each of us? Um, but it's always felt like the correct decision to go first. That's not because there aren't any advantages to going second. There absolutely are, as Ben and Shailene both pointed out. Um, 
but I feel like the the overall advantages from going first are typically higher. Um, and I think the tournament results we've seen have kind of held that up, that the player that goes first is winning not drastically more often, but more often by enough to matter. Um, we're, we're seeing in the like 55 to 60% win range for players going first at this point. And that is pretty consistent against across a lot of tournaments and a lot of armies um, and a lot of different games. So, And I think this yeah. time it's for a different reason, though. Oh, yeah. The, um, the reasons, it, let's be clear, last edition going second was better in most cases. That was absolutely what the data from ITC at least suggested. And we're not going to go into other formats because those are their own can of worms. I don't want to dive too deep there. But um, last edition, broadly speaking, the scoring method meant that going second was better. This edition is, is the opposite. Uh, and I think the, the biggest reason for that is the person who goes first gets two full shooting and assault phases to interact with their opponent before that opponent can score a single point. Mm -hmm. Two full shooting phases will clean any objective you want off. So you can pull them off of any one place you want to. Uh, and that's really big. Yeah, I uh, I also just wanted to um, address players' feel of Alpha Strike in general, which is where you'd normally hear this chatter. Right. And going first isn't specifically Alpha Strike being strong. No, no, definitely it's, not. It's it's the ability to remove your opponent from the objective and get on objectives yourself. Yes. It's tactical play. It's not specifically the whole, well, he went first and shot my army and I lost. Right. Um, it's not really the alpha strike thing that's that's uh, that's that's killing you anymore. It's really the um the those first those two extra phases essentially uh, that allow you to start scoring before your opponent starts scoring. Yeah, it's this is a very proactive addition where you are doing things and making the enemy respond to them. Mm -hmm. And if you get to do things first, you set the pace and tempo of the game. And being a person that well, I don't like to complain about something without offering some sort of, some sort of constructive criticism and how can we make it better? Mm -hmm. um, and I think, I think the defender option um whether you get it, whether you know you have it at the beginning, you know, during deployment or after that dice roll, I believe the defender should have some sort of thing like they did um, in the in the old ITC end of eighth edition hmm. or something along those lines that gives them a slight pick pick up on okay, I can prepare for this. I think what would be good is some kind of stratagem. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe not necessarily the the same thing as, but sort of like prepared positions. Yeah. Um, something that gave the the player going second, which is distinct from the defender, um, a boost. some kind of edge for the first turn of the game. Yeah, you know, a stratagem you activate. It's like for the first turn of the game, all your units are obsec, or who knows what it is um but there, there i i do feel like there should be something there or maybe a secondary objective or something mm -hmm. um because part of the problem is the way that things are scored um because it so advantages the more proactive player um but that said it is not an insurmountable edge 
it is certainly not going to be a case where, like, oh, I lost the roll-off, so I just gave him the game because I knew he was going to win. Um, it is a distinct advantage for the first player, but not an overwhelming one. Yeah, as I said, there are things you can cobble out of second turn that are still useful for yourself. Yeah, and especially if you have stratagems that allow you to redeploy or move units before the game starts, those can actually be hugely influential there. Um, Space Marines, uh, Eldar, a couple other factions all have stratagems and warlord traits like this. Um, and you can really, really make some difficult decisions because your opponent won't know whether they're going first or not. So you can deploy units in very aggressive ways uh, that force them to respond with the foreknowledge that if you lose the roll-off, you're just going to move those units. Mm -hmm. uh, Shailene, what is what has struck you the most uh, about the objective that we haven't really hit up so far? So, with the shortened game span and the fact you can't score on first turn, and that scoring happens at the start of your turn, so you don't get to take any mm -hmm. actions before scoring. You can't, oh yeah. crap, I didn't quite make it there, adjust it movement phase style. Mm -hmm. Basically, you have to be on it and at it the entire time you're playing. Um, slacking mm -hmm. off for a second will, will lose you so much ground, it's not even funny. It can be a little frustrating when your opponent kills you completely off, you're like, great! Yeah, there's definitely moments where it, you do feel a little powerless, like, oh, you killed all the guys over there, and I just don't get to do anything, you because you killed all the guys over there. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, this is, like we were saying earlier, this is very much a playing one turn in advance edition. Oh, yeah. Um... Because like you've you've gotta you gotta expect like okay they're gonna shoot at some of my guys they're gonna do this thing I need to be ready for that uh, and that takes some adjustment I think uh, this is this is very much going to reward players who are kind of like always eyes on the prize in terms of like getting objectives scoring points doing all that sort of thing yeah basically if you're not on an objective turn one you're not scoring turn two. Absolutely. Uh, that is that is critical to this whole thing. Is like, turn one is not a dead turn. Turn one is where the game starts, and it doesn't stop. Mm -hmm. And there's, and I kind of just want to go into some of the lists that this is creating. Um, and you're not seeing, uh, you know, a list that is 100% Gun Castle um, or Death yeah. Lab. You're not, you're not seeing, um, you're seeing people have to spend the points to be able to interact this way, whether it's on those action monkeys as we talked about earlier, whether it's on a couple of fast units, whether it's on, uh, you know, something big and fat to sit in the center and be obsec. Yeah. Um, the there's, you're seeing a lot of really, really interesting list builds that um, aren't for what we used to see. Yeah. Well, let's, let's start talking about the archetypes we're seeing a little bit, because I think that is actually one of the most interesting ones. Um, we're not seeing what, we might have previously called pure lists uh, because before you would have like a pure gun line or a pure melee army or stuff like that lists really can't afford to do that anymore you need to have a lot of tools in your toolbox 
to handle different situations in different armies. So we're seeing these lists that have a little bit of a lot of different things in them. Toolbox lists. All-rounder lists. They're not able to focus exclusively on any one strategy, because that just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everything seems a bit more tickle-comers. Yeah. Which is good. It, it, it absolutely is. I think it reflects very well on GW's sort of, like, basic level of game design, because there's no single tool so strong it can solve every problem. Mm-hmm. And that's a good thing. That's a very good thing. Yeah, and when I say tickle comers, I mean with its own ninth edition flair, um, right? Because of the way secondaries and primaries are scored, um, and I guess we kind of have to approach the elephant in the room and say, yep. yes, Space Marines are great. Oh boy, are they yeah. good! Yes, if you bought multiple Indominus boxes, you literally just piece those boxes together with a little, with a couple more units, call them Salamanders, and win the game. Um, yeah. <laughs> I shouldn't say that. That, to that degree, but... Oh, I mean, it's pretty close. Um, they they got so many huge buffs compared between 8th and now, uh, between just the board being shorter and their weapons being more able to interact, between new units like Eradicators and such, uh, between the fact that they have a Warlord trait that makes some guy obsec, like, mm-hmm. they they kind of hit all the hot points of what makes units good in 9th edition. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And they went from trash to treasure, and... I love their story, but God, are they such a giant pain in the ass to fight? That's all I'm. <laughs> they they very uh, much are. What's yeah? Let's let's talk about some of these because Space Marines are hands down the number one contender right now. Other lists certainly have one. Yeah, I think the hope is that we know they are getting their codex very soon, and we're assuming that a lot of this is going to be rebalanced. Um, personally, I am hoping that they do not release a set of six Space Marine supplements to give the most powerful codex additional powerful options. Um, please just put that in their core book and, you know, maybe don't give them each 20 pages of bonus content. Um, but we, we know Space Marines are going to be rebalanced soon. Um, so... They are definitely here now. They're probably still going to be good after all of this, because being the first Codex, you're better than everyone else for a little while. Um, Whether that will maintain through the edition, we have no way of knowing at this point, obviously. But if you are going to a a tournament or playing on Tabletop Simulator or something similar, um, be ready for Space Marines in particular... But also, more broadly, uh, sturdy elite infantry, uh, because that's kind of like a, the number two contender, I think, in the, the armies right now is Custodes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're, Custodes are, you know, they're, they're beyond fantastic. I'm seeing one thing I'm a fan of is seeing the Jetpack Custodes C play. Yeah. Those guys kind of sucked before, and now it's like, oh, I'm a fast-moving, durable infantry. Mm-hmm. I'm suddenly good now. Yes. Um, those... And as I mentioned, there's that list that souped in some scions. It's like, well, we can yep. take two really strong things and piece them together. Uh, yeah. So they're and they they got you know their book came out during the during the high of the, the beginning of the pandemic, so we never got to see what their book actually did. Their psychic awakening year is what you're talking about. Yeah. 
Yeah, their supplement the their psychic awakening. So like their psychic awakening stuff is bonkers. Like they it's good. they got yeah straight buffs. So they're they're pretty gosh darn good. And same thing with um I'll you know I'll go roll us into Death Guard. Yes. Death Guard also big durable units. Plague Marines, Blight Lord Terminators, Chaos Spawn. Yes, yeah. Chaos Spawn. <laughs> like those things exist now. Mm-hmm. They're they're ridiculous. They're absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> their points per wound and ter- their durability is just ludicrous. I think a lot of people were sleeping on how good Chaos Spawn were. They were not great last edition, but I did run them, and people were always surprised at how dangerous and how tough they actually were. Because uh, that yeah, 23 but... points for a 4-wound model with AP 2 attacks, damage 2... That's good, guys. That with with access to with the fact that they're heretic Astartes, yep. the fact that they get the Death Guard keyword, yep. the fact that they get disgusting or resilient, like yep. everything just starts to add up, and then they have the they get the the um, aura invuln, mm-hmm. um, like they go from kind of mediocre to stunning, yes. in no time flat. Um, so like those guys specifically, like you know, as we're talking about sturdy elite infantry. Uh, those guys definitely super stand out um, among among the uh, chaos players, and then combine that with a but- buttload of nerglings, and yep. you have your full board control, and you have your sturdy unit. And that I think kind of uh, touches another feature, which is those those alternative deployment units like nerglings, scouts, incursors, etc. Uh, all of those units are good. It, it basically doesn't matter what they are; they are good. For everyone that has them. Yep. And speaking of good that wasn't good, who wants to talk about clowns? Do you want to talk Ooh. about clowns, Sean? I do not want to talk about clowns. <laughs> Har- Harlequins have come a long ways. Uh, they are fast. They punch pretty hard. They shoot well enough to matter. They have arguably the most shenanigansy shenanigans in the game. Um, if you've ever watched... A, a group of three Harlequin models teleport twice per battle round to 15.3 objectives without ever interacting with the enemy. Um, it's a sight to behold. Um, the, yeah. the clowns are back in business. Um, I don't rank them quite as highly as some of these other lists, but they are absolutely a thing you need to be careful of because they can get anywhere on the table they want to and they can shoot and assault you much much harder than you were expecting yep and since i led you in the clowns i'm going to talk about my boys yes please talk talk about small let's let's talk about orcs and small vehicle hordes so orcs in this edition are a completely different flavor though the horde is still playable um let's not count them out yeah well we're gonna Uh, come back around on that one your uh, your winning lists um, that are you know even though we got we have so little data but like with what I'm testing and what people are winning with and what I'm talking to people about we are finally playing buggies mm-hmm. after a year of them being absolutely terrible <laughs> I mean I I played I played some of the GT once because um, I was ex- I was experimenting and I was right that unit would be good that unit is the scrapjet oh, scrapjet's yeah. absolutely 
freaking ridiculous in this edition. It got everything it needed uh, from those slight ninth edition changes, from with being able to shoot in combat. All weapons are assault. Um, their second awakening book gives them a custom job that makes them fight twice. I think I, we talked about this in the last episode, but like that is my favorite unit of ninth edition by far because it's orky, it's a vehicle, it's really cool, it does cool things. Yeah. And I, well, and it, if you don't mind, I want to step in here and kind of point out a, a couple things. Like you, you were talking about a lot of these good qualities. The scrapjet hits almost every one of the things we've said make units good. It is fast, it is more durable than you're expecting, it interacts with the opponent very well, and it can clear objectives. Those four features right there are the things that make good units. The only thing it is missing is objective secured. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, uh, it interacts specifically in both the shooting phase and the assault phase yep. better than literally anything in the, in the Orcs Codex. Um, the fact that they you know attack eight times yeah. Uh, if they have the custom job, the fact yeah. that they're they put out a ridiculous amount of firepower, and some of it only some of them hitting on fours even because you have the whole grot gunner rule. Yep. Um, like it's they are something, and then the three d six charge move mm-hmm. along with your ability to if you kill a model with the mortal wounds, and let me tell you, they double stack mortal wounds. So if you use your three d six stratagem to charge and do mortals on a two up the scrapjet also does mortals on a four up so you can do two d3 mortals um to a unit mm-hmm. and most of the time and then like i ram him to a character kill a character with that and i can use another stratagem to charge again yeah and literally repeat that process it's they're they are fantastic they're my favorite unit in this edition mm-hmm. by far yeah they're they're quite terrifying uh Shaylin, do you have any kind of uh, factions you want to give a call out or sort of like broad strategies you are seeing work really well? Not really. I haven't done a lot of research in that regard. No, that's fair. I have a thing called a husband with broken leg in my house. Sure. Uh, I know you have started kind of dipping into sisters a little bit, which have been doing relatively well. I haven't done any research. No, but you've, I mean, you're starting to, like, work on your sister's army, uh, which, you know, obviously it takes a little while to build and ready an army, but uh, sisters are definitely a faction that is getting some significant play and is 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 doing pretty well in a number of things, because uh, they have a lot of those same features we were talking about. Yeah, their, their durability... Um... That that ignore AP one AP two hits a really mm-hmm. really sweet spot, and the way that interacts specifically with other armies um, like custodies and uh, not just custodies but like Death Guard for example, where their flails AP two. Oh yeah. Um, they're not doing a whole lot. Yep. And then they rock an invulnerable on top of it. Yay. <laughs> yeah, and they also have the the hitting power to clear people from objectives with those bloody rose models. Yeah, and uh, and they do that super fast miracle dice. Oh um, boy! Especially on these even shorter boards, yep. like that guaranteed charge um, is it makes planning that turn. Like you're like, oh well, if I do this, this, and this, I'm gonna end up with around a nine inch charge. And you remember that makes you sweat. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but if you're if you're if you're if you're girl if you're playing sisters, nope. 
nope, that's just what you're going to do. You, you can plan Nine Inch Charges are their bread and butter. They are 100% happy to just be like, yeah, I'm nine inches away from you. That means I will succeed my charge every single time. And that's terrifying. Um, that level of, like, we're here, we make the charge, and these Bloody Rose models will kill you off the objective. There's no way I'm not going to do that. Um, and that level of surety is really, really powerful. Uh, I think that's what makes the, the sisters so strong, is just they can ensure that what they want to happen happens with their miracle dice. Miracle dice are the ultimate luck negator. No, I get to choose my yep. role. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know that the mechanic's good. I'm going to give a special shout out to uh, to the army that literally covers all of these things uh, that we talk about makes ninth good, uh, and that's Drukari. Um, specifically, mm-hmm. your like homunculus coven, more transporty based style of armies. Once again, peeling that onion, very fast moving, very durable. Um, bunches of bunches of racks, bunch of venoms, bunch of good shooting stuff. Um, the it's these armies that have a bunch of obsec tough stuff, but also have good shooting stuff. It becomes a really, really weird catch twenty two of well, if they're shooting my obsec units, I'm winning, and if they're shooting my shooting units, I'm winning. Mm-hmm. So it <laughs> um, that, that catch twenty two can be very difficult in some armies. Yeah, it definitely can. Uh, so let's let's kind of wrap things up here, talking about the the one style list that we haven't really discussed a lot, uh, but is the source of a lot of contention hordes. Um, we haven't seen any, like, horde lists placing highly yet. Uh, do you guys think that is because hordes are just not as good as people were expecting? Or because, uh, maybe they just, you know, the model counts and effort of playing them are a little prohibitive for most people? I think it's a combination of the the prohibitiveness. Like, most people would rather play a smaller model count army if they could help it. Certainly. Um, it's just less energy on your part and a bunch of other stuff. Uh, I'm not saying hordes are bad, but a lot of things went up in cost, and that that cost, I think, has steered people away from it. I think they're still good because hordes are durable. Um, which is a good facet, and you can certainly make them fast with things like Swarmlord. Um, I still see Swarmlord Cannon as being useful, but it is possible with the way things like Shield a Million Attacks now, that you can really uh, trash up a horde in pretty short order. Yeah. So this, uh, this, edition, this edition seems to have done some horde nerfs, um, and, but I think their time is coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to preface this with the fact that one of my most hated horde nerfs um, that's making my life difficult is uh, the new cohesion rules, specifically when you're trying to move in combat. Um, mm. You aren't nearly as effective or efficient as you used to be. Yeah. Uh, and with the how, the how the rules are written for how you're supposed to move during combat... Um, you're sometimes kind of stuck. Um, you know, you're not getting as many dudes in combat as you thought you were. You're not the mm-hmm. uh, four ranks of combat is you know oh, while yeah, contentious back in the day doesn't literally impossible now. Um, but there's with the way you have to keep cohesion in this edition. Um, 
and the fact that if somebody could draw, you know, that large horde unit a little bit closer here, a little bit closer there, like you're kind of you're pretty stretched and you're not able to like blob up and pile in as you would want to, um, and you're not able to move across the board as you would want to. Um, that stringing out, especially to like auras and such, is pretty important. Uh, you can still kind of do it, like you, you're not 100% negated from doing that anymore, but it is a significant nerf to observe, um, and armies that saw a lot of strength in doing that with the horde units uh, w are seeing a power down. Um, now, mass units, uh, max size units, like 30 menus and such like that, I think their time in the sun is coming. Um, as this meta shifts and people adjust to this meta game of a bunch of durable multi-wound units and stuff like that, um, they're not going to really have the guns to kill uh, a bunch of horde units. Now, you're going to run into one guy that does, you might have a bad day, you might need to play differently, but I mm -hmm. think I think there's... I think I would ex have an expected shift at some point of when everyone's bringing high power, uh, low volume guns that hordes would shine again. Um, yeah. And I think that's coming soon. I think that's definitely coming soon. Um, the other thing I want to mention, uh, it, which is a kind of a weird way to put it, I think MSU horde, specifically lots and lots of models, but mm. all in MSUs, um, yeah. is I've... probably your more effective way of running a horde style of army if you want to run a high model army at this time. I've definitely seen people talking about, you know, what if you bring like a brigade or double battalion with just a lot of five and ten man units in it. Because I mean, I'm running sixty boys, yeah, with six trucks, and it's fantastic. That's that's not a small number of models, um, but it can achieve some of the same stuff that a horde does while while dodging some of their weaknesses. Um, that may be what we see a transition to. Although I think we are definitely still going to see the larger blocks of like twenty and thirty models um, getting used in certain armies. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna call out uh, orcs, tyranids, and imperial guard in particular here. Your your classical horde armies are still going to field hordes sometimes. Not all the time. Um, Guard absolutely can do six squads in Chimeras just chilling on the objective watching TV from inside their air-conditioned ride. Um, air-conditioned, Sean, this but, is the grim dark. Look, I didn't say it was good air-conditioning. This is the air-conditioning of your, you know, 1983 Toyota Celica. Um, but they're, they're, they've got it cranked up to full, and they're in there draining the battery. Uh... But I think that you will still see these armies fielding, like, the 30-man conscripts, the 30-man squad of boys, um, because it does provide them with a, a potentially a very powerful option. Because uh, I'm not sure if you've particularly seen this, Ben, but uh, one I have noticed a couple of times is um, if you have a squad of, like, 30 boys and two of them are out of line of sight and the enemy shoots all of the others away, and those two boys are left sitting behind a ruined wall where nothing can shoot at them, that's a green tide right there. That is going to be a green tide. My, my explanation of the buffs to Horde specifically is in, is in the morale, fet, morale step. Yes. Um, the, the fact that you're not 
things aren't a guaranteed loss anymore besides the one. Right. Um, you're, a 30-man unit is pretty easy to sustain uh, with them getting shot, assuming you have some terrain to work with. Like, if I have a 20-man unit, mm-hmm. I put 10 in line of sight and 10 out of line of sight, that unit's not dying. Like, straight up, that unit's not yeah. dying. Yeah. Um, and then um, I have a couple of special call-outs that, you know, I might be predicting the future here. Um <gasps> What's remi- I'd like to remind people that Necron Warriors have a max size of 20 men. Oh, and they, boy. They're able to move around. They're able to move around really quick or get deployed in such a way um, that make them put them on objectives. Like, it. Uh, yeah. Necrons get their codex next. It's just, just and, saying. And, I think, uh, I think uh, warrior blobs are going to be fantastic. Yeah, and, uh, I mean, already are because Necron Warriors have their version you know, resurrection protocols the of Green Tide, only it doesn't cost them any command points and it works every turn of the game. Mm-hmm. Two Necron warriors that... out of line of sight is going to be a nightmare for a lot of armies. That's going to be one of the reasons you're going to want some of those indirect shooting guns, just so you can clear those last couple of guys out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a... Those guys are going to be pretty insane. Um, I know it's a little future casting because they're not there yet, but mm-hmm. uh, I think I think one of your horde units is going to be the Necron Warrior model. Yep, could very well be. Uh, did, did you have another one you're gonna you're gonna call the shot on, or was that your your big call? Uh, I still think I still think we're yet to see people experiment, and this is more of a Sean Naden thing. Um, mm-hmm. I kind of want to see where he if he tries to try out the uh, Eldari um, hordes again, because hmm. there's not there's not any reason not to. Um, witch bombs are still pretty fantastic, and guardian yeah. blobs are still. They went up in price a lot. Yeah, we're. we're I mean, we, we all did. That's that's the that's the neg- that, that's the negative hordes right now too. Yeah, they they went up more than most people. Unfortunately, we saw two and three point increases on a lot of the Eldar infantry, uh, which is why most people are leaning away from them. Now, I'm not saying Sean Naden won't try it. <laughs> that guy is a madman, and his his comprehension of Eldar is maybe beyond anyone else. Although I think it has taken its toll on his sanity. Um, he, he paid a terrible price for his knowledge of the Eldar race. Um, he, I guarantee he will bring some kind of witch guardian harlequin mass model blob to a tournament and probably win it. I don't think anyone else will ever be able to replicate what he does. Um, but I guarantee you he will do it. You know, there's... As I said, I, I think hordes will see their time in the limelight. Um, I think their buffs were, I think their nerfs are significant enough to make people not play them. And having attempted to play them on the board, I, I can see some some of the nerfs I didn't think were a bigger deal are a big deal. Mm. Um, but at the same time, with the way morale works now, um, I don't think you're going to see situations of people bringing like three thirty man groups or something. But at least bringing one, especially if you have stuff like Green Tide, yeah, um, is going to be is just still it's tool. super relevant. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, look, a tool. <laughs> yep. All right. Well, I think that covers 
all of our, our, our big hits for 9th edition here. Obviously, the game is still expanding and changing. We don't claim to be oracles, except when we do. Um, Sad. Protagonistikars do not talk to me. Yes. Um... But I think these are sort of the the broad trends we have seen in the edition that most people are able to agree on. Uh, and if you're looking to build lists going forward from here, these are the sort of things you're going to have to make sure you cover your bases and are ready to face. Um, but if you have other questions or maybe you've seen some tournament results that you really think are worth talking about or you have an unusual list and you'd like to chat with us a little bit about it because we do love talking about lists uh you can contact us through email at in the finest hour at gmail.com as well as on uh facebook where we are of course in the finest hour and our patreon at the same and if you want to have a little bit more of an in-depth conversation and maybe you know talk about lists and iterating and see what we're up to and see some of our extremely shitty memes uh, or maybe just see pictures of someone's cat uh, for five bucks a month you can help support the podcast and you get access to our episodes that we release early which I think we're going to be doing one on uh, Shaylin's Grey Knights here sometime this week so you'll have that to look forward to um, I may or may not have built seven lists yeah we've built quite a few lists as a matter of fact uh, so you'll get you access to all of that, as well as to our private Facebook group and the Discord server where we post all this sort of thing. Uh, and for all of you who are current patrons of the show, thank you very much. We really appreciate everything you've done for us in helping us set up the equipment and the website and all of this sort of thing that keeps the show running. I'd like to thank Rylan Woodrow for doing our awesome, awesome iconography and just being a general, like, artistic badass. Made that super cool band. I'd also like to th- <laughs> We'd also like to thank Dank Muse for his awesome sounds, and you can find other sounds of his on SoundCloud, Spotify, and YouTube. Yeah. So, I think that wraps us up for the week. Next week, we will be talking about transports i think transports are kind of a big deal yep so i have to paint my trucks it's weird (laughs) yeah for the first time in a while haven't seen those since sixth edition that the the latest yeah so uh for everyone out there i've been sean morin shaylen allen west ben drake thanks for listening